One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. It's Tim Sylvie here. Welcome back to another episode of the Motormouth Podcast. So... Formula One is the absolute pinnacle of racing from a driving and technical perspective. The money, the development, the glossy factories, the massive volume of personnel, media, broadcast coverage is an absolute beast that spans the globe with an absolutely fanatical audience. To work in it is a rare privilege, one that many people strive for. But how do you get into it? How do you thrive once you're in it? We sat down with Richard Saxby, a man who's worked with some of the most important and influential people in Formula One. We hear his journey, his views, his opinions, and what he thinks makes motorsports a great place to carve out a career. He explains how to get into Formula One, what to think about when you get there, how to get ahead, how to innovate, even what jobs are available at Formula One teams, some of which might surprise you. He provides some really sound advice and insights. I hope you enjoy it and maybe even learn something. So let's get into it. Here's my interview with former F1 engineer, now motorsport director at McLaren Applied, Richard Saxby. Richard, welcome to the show. How are you, first of all? Very good. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure. Um, where are you joining us from today? For, for the audio listeners um, only, there, there's some rather impressive looking bits of car behind you. So presume this is home. Yeah. Yes, this is my uh, my home office. Actually, uh, not far from from Silverstone. Uh, pretty much where I've based myself my my entire career, really, as you, as you can imagine. You know, um, the the links are. Uh, are quite prominent uh, in and around Silverstone. So yeah, home is uh, not far from Silverstone, but lived in Silverstone for many years uh, prior to just moving outside. And my home office is, yes, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a, a a personal shrine of effects to to my career to remind me that, you know, it, it's, all, it's all been good. Excellent. Well, on the career subject, so one of the reasons I wanted to do this conversation with you specifically was to try and shine a light on careers in Formula yeah. One um, and, and motorsport and, you know, the, the peripheral 
um, areas around Formula One that people can get involved with. Um, so with that in mind, take us back to your, I guess, formative career um, years. What was your first job? How did you get it? What what led to that moment? It's uh, it, it's it's one that I I really don't mind. I, I really don't mind telling people because it is uh, it's so it's something I get asked quite a lot. You know, being in being in Formula One, being around Formula One and motorsport is you know how do you get into it? And um, but for me, it was it was a, a you know a graduate position which was fairly rare back in I think it was nineteen ninety. Well, I don't think it was nineteen ninety nine. Um, with Stuart Grand Prix and um, I'd graduated from from university and uh, predominantly my my sort of focus was actually on in, in medical devices uh, university but uh, heavily into to motorsport so I started to uh, write to to a lot of the teams asking about you know junior engineering positions and sort of technically knocking on a few doors and um, back then there was a a, a, a you know, a paper publication called uh, Autosport. And in the back of that, that had a range of, of positions and, and jobs and so on and so forth. And um, yeah, led me to to write to a number of the teams because the, the addresses were were there and it's not very often you, you get to realise, uh, you know, where these places are. So um, sent out a few letters and one of them I got back was from Stuart Grand Prix. And I went into the interview uh, Stuart Grand Prix, very, very fortunate to get an interview of one of two graduate positions. Uh, one was sort of an R&D graduate and the other one was a materials graduate. And of course, materials wasn't really my specialism. But I sat in the interview and, and um, explained what I've been doing at university. And I, and I sort of explained that, um, you know, if you if you consider uh, an athlete uh, on a running machine uh, needs uh, needs, you know, um, uh, systems and devices to to check and monitor their performance, right? So it was um, it was quite good that I was able to explain the sort of technology back then to to assess performance, and I started going on about you know okay the the, the blood of a person, the blood pressure can be monitored with pressure sensors, and you can imagine that being the hydraulics of the car, the brain, obviously the ECU. The, the heart, the engine, and measuring extremities like loads on 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 athletes uh, on athletes' limbs um, and airflow, all that sort of stuff. So uh, the 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 analogy was quite clear that a Formula One car or, or, or a thoroughbred race car also needs these these partic- particular parameters measured using very similar techniques. Um, and I think that was the that that was the sort of turning point in the interview, uh, which they said, you know, this position is actually for somebody to um, look at the instrumentation of the of the car and do some R and D around what we could add to the car in order to monitor its performance. So, right place, right time, right subject. Um, yeah, went straight into to work for uh, a very small uh, Formula One team that had, you know, very recently uh, had some success um, uh, in Grand Prix racing and previous to that Formula 3000, which was Stuart Grand Prix. And my, my contract at the time, this is how small it was, my contract at the time was actually countersigned by Paul Stewart and Jackie Stewart. So it was, uh, it was quite a uh, uh, yeah, right place, right time. But, you know, without making those opportunities without doing that writing or without knocking on the doors or 
um, you you wouldn't you wouldn't put yourself front and center to to be even chosen for an interview. Yeah, and it, it's it's funny how things have changed because I've spoken to a few people of um, it's how can I say it's politely your age demographic, Richard. Yeah, who who, yeah. who have yeah. you know been in the game for a long time, and um, they a lot of them have similar ish stories where they they're like either I literally went and knocked on the door. And yeah. spoke, and the guy that answered the door was the guy that I, you know, who was at the top of the tree, um, because like you say, the organisations were smaller. Or I wrote a letter, and eventually I got something back. Times moved on, you know. LinkedIn wasn't a thing in 1999. Yeah. Um, how does if if you were born again, and the, you know, there's Richard at 18, 19 years old, 20 years old, um, coming out of university or whatever. How would you do it now? Like, what, 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 can, what do people do when they want to talk to you, for example? How, how do you get through that door initially? Yeah, it's great. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've sort of been fortunate enough to be on things like LinkedIn from the start and see and watched it, watched it grow um, as a, as a sort of platform for being able to share your experiences as well as sort of pointing people in the right direction. So I've used a lot of that media um, uh, to, to help people and. Uh, and one of those things is very recently, maybe in the last sort of five, ten years, Formula One teams and and the you know the associated suppliers have started to really uh, understand the 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 you know the the power of the graduate, right? And this fresh thinking, this new approach, and um, they have really started to uh, create these. Um, graduate positions in all departments right which which can either be utilized by by university graduates or in indeed you know college graduates to go into various apprenticeships so there is many many um teams and and power unit manufacturers and associated suppliers that have connections with with motorsport that are really sort of you know putting together these these great programs for um for 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 career building in motorsport and it is a case of sort of pointing people in those directions and and it's a case of sort of saying that look you know if you are find yourself in and around silverstone you know some of the old-fashioned approach is is you know print off a few cvs go and knock on a few doors connect with them in linkedin try and find out who the recruiters are um try and find a little bit more about the company you know because you, you know a lot about motorsport but do you know about the company do you know how well it's structured um, and do your research really uh, into that particular team, and don't just you know it's not just the, it's not just about the drivers, um, it's about the engineers, it's about people um, that that work in these teams. Where do they live? You know, what are they? Uh, what what are their interests? And you know, do do your research. And I think that's what I do now. Um, and in some cases, you know, uh, f- definitely for apprenticeships, um, and, and even people going into university with a focus on trying to get into formula one look at the universities that have associates associated uh, formula student teams um look at the universities that have quite a a a a good budget for for that sort of um for that sort of career as well um you know a place like oxford brooks cranfield university brunel you know there are some really strong universities out there that do uh, formula student programs and more often than not, most of these people are affiliated to maybe Formula Three teams, and in some cases, Formula One teams. Um, but for um, 
for um, people who want to do, uh, you know, uh, apprenticeships, um, you know, level one, two and three apprenticeships. There, um, There's plenty of colleges out there, mate, that, that just, you know, really do focus on this sort of multidiscipline engineering approach. Um, and, and not just engineering, right? We talk now about uh, marketing. We talk about uh, even right the way down to sort of, um, you know, uh, business and IT, um, right. The way, Formula One teams and motorsport teams have a complete range of jobs. There are there are they're their own little micro or ecosystem of uh, of careers, and um, motorsport isn't just about you know STEM engineering mathematics. You know there is a lot of business. There is legal counsel. There is you know marketing. There's digital media um, sponsorship. Um, right the way through. You know all the way through in in all apprenticeships. They, yeah. they, you know, they cover all that. So uh, look at the apprenticeships, uh, look at the graduate schemes that these these teams are offering, work out where they pick their, their, the, you know, where they focus in on, on some of the good colleges and universities. And um, yeah, put yourself front and center, give yourself the best possible start. There's some really good advice in there. And and just going back to your career, then you, you've moved around some, you know, there's there's a number of roles you've mentioned there from engineering to digital to sponsorship, commercial, etc. Your your career path has has I suppose followed the more engineering side of things. Just take your sort of top line through your key milestones, I suppose, whether it's you know Williams Advanced or um, Mercedes and the work you've done there, R- right through to now and what your job entails these days. Yeah, uh, it, it is. So started in started in engineering, but now technically I I, I run a business. Um, so you, you know, I've got, I've gone from one, one sort of part of the company, one sort of part of motorsport to, to the other, um, you know, obviously let's say spending money to, to, to making money. Um, so my career, obviously Stuart Grand Prix, R and D got a little bit of racetrack, uh, experience, but mainly factory based moved to Renault F1 after Ford decided to pull out from Jaguar. Um, times were a little bit turbulent, so sort of started looking around again, putting myself out there front and center to see what the next move was. Um, we became Red Bull, but I'd already signed a contract with Renault F1, moved to Renault F1 for two years, uh, sorry, uh, in 2005 for, for five years. And, um, fortunate enough to win two championships with Fernando. I sort of looked after the track side, electronic systems and software, um, for the test team mainly. Um, and then um, in 2009, Renault had a little bit of a, a rocky time. And um, it was my decision to, again, look for the next challenge. And one of those challenges was born out of the Braun situation, which was which was fabulous. Um, as you know now, I, I work for I work for Nick Fry. Uh, he's my he's my CEO. And um you know, one of the one of the key key moments uh, in time was 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 that Braun challenge, and it you know it's quite inspiring to look for the next challenge and to sort of be the the underdog and and come forward. And I'd won two world championships. I'd been at the front of the grid. Um, let's say Renault sort of uh, was on a was on a you know they were on their downward slope as it were because there's a lot of cyclic action in in Formula One as you know. Um, and then. Richard Branson sort of came on the scene, obviously with Braun, and uh, decided that he'd like to start his own team up and uh, worked with uh, Manor, a great, great couple of people called John Booth and Graham Loudon, who um, invited myself. I think I was the 11th, 11th employee 
Um, and I remember a defining moment in my career moving from Renault to this round table up in Dinnington in Sheffield, where we all sat round and we said, right, what do we need? We've got to build a Formula One team. What do we need? I mean, the car was sort of, you know, in progress with a team in Bicester, but what do we need to get this team going? And um, that was a great couple of years uh, with the Virgin Racing team uh, and a real defining moment in my career because there were many days and nights where you would sleep in tire blankets, right? You uh, you would sleep in trucks. I've got photographs of me sprawled out on the on the bench of a truck, fast asleep, you know, uh, at three o'clock in the morning, where you're trying to grab a couple of hours. Uh, and it was a real sort of you know wakey up moment that I'd gone from this amazingly well run Formula One team to you know the other end of the grid where we were. We lit. We literally we literally caused the FIA to create the curfew because we weren't leaving the circuit. And um, us and Lotus, uh, Lotus and and Hispania Racing at the time, we yeah, we literally caused that that thing to happen. Um, coupled with many oil leaks and and you know false starts and you know rapid floor offs and floor ons and and you know it was it was crazy crazy times. Um, and that that crazy time uh, forced me to you know think about wow you know this is I've gone from one extreme to the other. And um, I think I was away in the hundreds of days of the year. I was away from home, and I, I sort of started looking out. Oh, yeah, this was this was quite hard. This was quite tough on me uh, in those days. Um, to look at, well, let's let's think about getting back to the factory now, uh, and not be traveling around the world. And it was a great time, you know. Uh, I was in pit stops, and we we really we really had to muck in and do everything. Um, but you know, now is the time I needed to sort of actually focus on my career rather than rolling around on the floor, uh, in a pit lane at three o'clock in the morning and, uh, went to Williams and there, my challenge was to take a electronics from a formula one team or for a formula one car and marry it with a, an automotive vehicle, which we, we created called the CX 75, which was a, a hypercar, the same sort of genre as the Porsche 918. The LaFerrari and um, and the McLaren P1, but uh, and that was extreme. That was that was a, another extreme challenge to see these two different two different sort of you know industries try to come together to create a road car, um, and it's something that I think Jaguar Land Rover, who who'd instructed Williams to build this. I think they probably thought they'd bit off more than they could chew, to be honest. Um, and unfortunately, the project didn't go ahead. But at that point, uh, Mercedes F1 came knocking, and I had a, I had some some colleagues in there that told me, you know, factory based R and D. Yeah, we've got something for you here. Uh, so I went to to R and D at, uh, at Mercedes AMG F1 in uh, 2013, and. It was, you know, quite an eye opener. You could see which way this this company was going, and I was working under a chap called Aldo Costa, who to this day I still think is one of the, the you know the finest sort of leaders that we've ever had in in Formula One. And um, in a short space of time, I was uh, made head of of R and D at the time, and we sort of switched the names around a bit because. You know, our team in R&D didn't do the R. So I sort of said, well, 
the R is done in the in the um, in the in the design office, right? Research and the innovation is done in the design office. So we we need to be more focused on the T, or the test. So we called ourselves test and development, and that really sort of empowered the the designers to to feel like they could come up with some great ideas, and they would then filter down to me and my team to ensure that we were able to make these uh, ideas real in the most efficient way possible to gain you know uh, to to gain speed and performance and having this intent that um uh, this mission this vision that aldo set uh meant that we were able to 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 really all pull together and, and create this uh fantastic eight-year run of 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 winning cars uh, along with along with the mercedes high performance powertrains so we created a fantastic laboratory and, and the emphasis for for aldo and and stefan and the designer John Owen was to create a, a, a facility that we could do as much testing off track as we possibly could. I mean, huge amounts, full car, right the way down to a molecular level, looking at you know the way that uh, adhesives are, are created, right the way up to to producing a, a full car analysis of of its stresses and strains. So it, we we ended up doing several several hundred thousand kilometers before the car even hit the track. So this vision that Aldo had uh, of creating this sort of simulator base, again, provided this reliability and performance aspect. That was really exciting times um, at Mercedes uh, AMG F1, where and a, a further eight championships I, I walked away with from there, which was, which was fabulous. But there was this still little inkling feeling that I had after, you know, nine years, uh, eight years, which I, I really wanted to get into the business side of things. You know, why why is Formula One putting a cost cap on this? Why is this business so expensive? And all I've done is really spend that money. I've never understood where it come from, and I always I always got a had a little bit of a an idea that I'd like to get into a business. And I saw McLaren applied. Uh, they used to be called McLaren Electronic Systems. They used to be owned by McLaren Group. And I was always a customer. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Of McLaren. Uh, McLaren Applied. Uh, they are the standard ECU supplier, the electronics. So we talked about the fact I was in electronics at, at Renault. Um, I did everything in in in, uh, in in Mercedes, but I always still had this sort of hankering to get back into my sort of career of electronics. And then um, McLaren came back to me and saying, look, you know, we need to know what the customer is feeling right now. We need to know how to get us out of this, you know, um, sort of comfortable feeling and start to innovate and push forward. Um, what do the customers really, really want? What do the F1 teams really want? And of course, in an F1 team, and while I was in research and development, 
the, the customers are the race team, right? So us in the factory, we are the we're we're, we're, the, we're the product providers, and the customers really are the race team. And um, I sort of took that analogy to McLaren Applied, and and not many people at McLaren Applied had, had ever been a customer of McLaren Applied, and um, that got recognised by by Nick and the team, and um, I was made the um, yeah, the motorsport director for for the for the company, uh, which which really helped us bring back a bit of a customer focus to McLaren Applied and focus back on motorsport. McLaren Applied had sort of taken a, a few different routes, um, but my intent was to bring back this focus on 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 Formula One, NASCAR, IndyCar, MotoGP, and and the premium sort of level uh, that we want to look at and. Um, the way to do that was obviously sort of generate some investment and uh, uh, and you know provide an intent overall. So something I'd learned from Mercedes, I brought into McLaren, and we're sort of you know we're we're sort of bringing the bringing the company back up, and we're winning lots of bids. We won the standard ECU again until 2030, which puts us on the map. We've uh, been hugely successful with NASCAR, and a lot of people know that we we actually do the same thing for formula one we we do in nascar too which is you know the 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 next best premium motorsport series oh and indycar indycar too it's the same we do we do that there as well it's, it's so a, yeah that's the career a, in a nutshell yeah it's a fantastic career and and you must look back at it with with a real fondness and, and proudness of what you've achieved it's funny actually we we probably crossed paths in corridors in between sort of 2005 and 2010 because I, I was part of the team that um worked with a lady called Isabel Connor who at the time was the chief marketing officer at ING Bank who yeah. who came in and spent an awful lot of money with Renault up yes. until when you left in 2009 and and when I think a number of people probably had a bit of a, a rethink about what they were doing with their careers at that yeah. point for obvious yeah. reasons yeah. and um and then I also went on to Marussia when um uh, I was managing racing drivers and I took on the management of a very young Max Chilton yeah. um, when, when he got a seat with Jules Bianchi yeah. um, and, and had a really interesting time with him and spent a lot of time at the factory in Banbury. Um, yeah. So it's yeah. funny hearing you talk about those days. And Yeah, um, we would have definitely crossed paths. I mean, mo- that's the thing about motorsport as well is most people have crossed paths and yeah. um there's a lot, there's, you know, there's lots of, lots of great people, good people have the same interests and the same passions. And it's, uh, it's what makes us stand out from any other business, I think, from any Absolutely. other industry. Um, now, I want to work, I want to talk about, um, I suppose, the realities of working in motorsport. And you touched on one of them, which is traveling for hundreds of days a year. Yeah. There, people look at motorsport and probably think, you know, what a glamorous lifestyle. I want to be there. It doesn't get any better than that. Just what, what are the red flags? What, what are the parts that make you, that you have to say to people, look, are you ready for this? Cause it is a sacrifice. Are you ready for this? Yeah. What, what are the reality checks? The reality checks are, to be honest with you, you know, standing in queues at airports <laughs> and waiting for your bags. And then all the bags coming off the carousel are all exactly the same. Uh, getting on a, getting on a, a van at four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning to go and get your flight. Um, you know, uh, uh, pack ups in the rain. Uh, you know, the, the, they are they are big reality checks. But you know, it's the people that really sort of bring you out onto that. And what what I miss most uh, about everything is uh, about traveling is the people. I mean, you are you are 
you are a circus, right? And you, you, you're on the same flight as everybody else. You, you know, you're, you're in the same hotels, you use the same hire car company. Um, you're in, you, you head it, you're all heading to the same place. The reality checks, though, is, you know, time away from from friends and family. And when you are home, you are living out of a bag still when you are home. Your your kit bag is open and your wash bag is used. You know, very rarely did you put your your toothbrush down on on the shelf of your bathroom. It would go in your wash bag. It would go in and out of your wash bag. And these are sort of little things that sort of think, you know, this, this isn't really... Uh, uh, you know, a way of life uh, for a long period, you know, how, how long can you sustain it? Now, there have been some people that have made it their lives, you know, continuously, but more often than not, people do um, do traveling for maybe an average, I'd love to do the averages, but I'm sure it's only about four or five years, um, and then start to look at some sort of what they can do back at the factory and start to think about, you know, maybe having a family, settling down, um, providing themselves with their own base, and um, yeah, just not getting on a plane, um, having two passports, having to wonder, you know, your your passport's been sent off to China to get to get, you know, the em- embassy. So you've got to use the other passport. Um, uh, there's there's lots there's lots of things really that that um, you know make you do have a bit of a reality check, and you know it's uh, it's hard, it's very very hard work, um, pit stop practice you know, um, was, was, was super hard work, especially when they stopped refueling, um, that, I mean, I remember sat, sat at the, at the, we call them the racks, the electronic systems on the, you know, that, that talk to the car and not even have time to go to the loo. Right. I am literally did, had not, not even have the time to go there. And, and again, you know, working all nighters, I think the, the, the longest one, uh, chap called Joe Burkett and myself, we did, um, we calculated we did a 60 hour day. So you know, the, 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 there are some, I mean, it's changed now. It, it, it has changed um, and things have got a lot better. Um, you know, with budget comes shifting and all that stuff. But some of the engineers, they can't shift. You know, the, the, some of the engineers that stay with the driver have got to stay with the driver and got to stay with the team. And they, they can't have a couple of races off. Yeah. Yeah. And and I suppose it's it's not just, you know, the engineers and the mechanics and they, they have their long days, particularly if there's an accident on track and you've got to, you know, work for a long, long time to try and recover. But it's also, I suppose, the marketing teams and the, the events teams because, they, you so know, they're hard. there packing so tickets hard. till midnight, you know, setting up event spaces. It's it's full on for everybody. Yeah, it's it? full on. I mean, the, the events team, marketing teams, you know, it, it, it is like, you know, a, a busload of VIPs off, you know, smiling all day, answering the same questions, working off the same script. Um, you know, another bus VIPs come along and, and, and again, yeah, the setup, the setup to be as perfect as you possibly can, especially if you're trying to attract a sponsor, um, to make sure you're engaging with the right people. Um, your timetable in marketing and and commercial is, uh, the timetables are full full a race weekend like vegas i can't imagine i can't imagine how they would have uh, it would just been so busy monaco monaco and places like vegas and miami i just you know it's just it's just crazy well let's uh let's talk about the show what did you make of vegas yeah vegas was a great race really good race um the thing is i i do concentrate on the race as opposed to the the sort of show around it but i i, I get 
I get the show. After working NASCAR for the last year and a half, I get the show, right? I mean, they put on a great show. And uh, people want to come to the show. Um, a lot of people um, like the atmosphere and don't necessarily stay around and watch the race, right? Uh, unless you're in Spa or Monza, which, you know, you go there for a specific reason. And I think having places like Miami and Vegas, it allows people to, um, you know, do what they want. You know, they, they, if they if they don't want to sit in a freezing cold tent in Spa, they can go out to a bar or, you know, go to go 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 and watch a show, and, and that's great. You know, that, that it's something for everybody at, at places like Vegas and, and Miami. Um, and then the the rest of the circuits are, you know, dedicated race circuits where you race. You will find a race fan sat in a in a field in a chair with with rain pouring down them and, but, but seeing the smiles on their faces, they're going up au rouge, right? So it's something forever. The great thing about Vegas and, and what Liberty have done is they've put on a, they've put on a great show and there's something for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, from a development perspective, um, you know, your kind of world, 2026 got new regs coming in. Are you yeah. quite excited to see what that does mix yeah. things up a little bit? Yeah, I am. Um, especially for the power unit manufacturers, right? Cause all of a sudden you've got people like Honda, They've just sold everything they ever owned to Red Bull. And then I've just said, oh, uh, we want to be involved again. And um, these reg changes, and Audi, of course, you know, these reg changes have really attracted um, some, some, some serious players now. And these serious players are probably going to really mix it up. You know, you've, you've got G- General Motors signed up in 2028. So you're going to have this General Motors versus Ford thing again, you know, uh, in the future. Um, power unit manufacturers, definitely. Uh, the the interesting thing for me is the the the, the route to sustainability. So it's almost 50-50 power shared now with electric and and uh, and fuel, right? Uh, and combustion, let's say. You know, the fuel that we're using is 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 you know a sustainable e-fuel, but it's still combustion. Um, you know, this, it's almost 50-50. So it's uh, it's going to be a real uh, performance differentiator. Who's got it right on the engine front? And of course, you've got a lot more engine manufacturers now than you've ever had before. So let's uh, let's almost like a it's almost like a level playing field. The aero, of course, is 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 the other is the other factor uh, for for the cars. Smaller should be lighter, not necessarily faster, but. But um, it, it, it's exciting. I'm really excited, uh, uh, you know, especially for the engine manufacturers and the, and the fans, for sure. Yeah. Does it? Does the electric thing? Does is it a good thing? I mean, obviously, it's a good thing. We we have to do it. Um, I, I think there were some concerns from one or two of the drivers that you know it could create a culture of lift and coast. You know, some of the yeah. stuff that you see in in Formula E. Is there a danger of going too far down that electric route? No, I think I think that I think that's probably about the limit for for the foreseeable. And I think it's probably the limit in my, my my personal take on this is that the OEMs will probably see that as the limit. And having a combination of whether it be hydrogen power or e-fuels, which are still combustion, let's not let's not take that away. There's still some some something produced, but but having the 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 sort of you know the the, the other fifty percent of the powertrain electric. Um, I think that's probably the the limit for the foreseeable. Um, I, very few 
people have commented on on full electric. We know that certain OEMs have sort of said, you know, we we, we don't commit to a fully electric future. So what does that mean? Um, so it's 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 really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, um, just looking ahead to the future, what what's the next five ten years for for you as an individual, but also McLaren Applied and, and your role and function there? Uh, so we are looking at um, being able to to provide a um, uh, a platform for all motorsports, right? So we want to look at the electric side of motorsport. We want to look at the the hydrogen market. We want to look at the full combustion V8 US market. And and for us now, it's trying to navigate a platform that can cover all three sort of areas and and provide race series race teams race organizers race event managers with a choice uh if they want to run hydrogen if they want to run combustion they can come to us if they want to run electric uh, electric uh, uh, powertrains again they can come to us uh we we want to have that sort of open shop window that that doesn't sort of differentiate you know um fully internal combustion to to electrification so that that's that's us for the next 10 years we really want to focus on on that choice yeah yeah and as you look back richard on your career so far and your body of work would you have done anything differently is there any sort of little tidbits that you can provide people that you think would have changed or sped up your trajectory or or altered it in some way would you have changed anything at all no i I don't think we would i mean we 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 try and listen to the market we try and listen to the oems we try and listen to the race series about where they want to go in the future a lot of these race series are set up way in advance of of when they're actually going to race right so we try and be their preferred supplier giving them like i said before this this level of choice that we discussed um it's 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 an interesting time and i don't think if you went back and changed something i don't think you'd have learned from what potentially you could have made wrong so it's a good thing not to not to go back um it's a good thing to learn from from the direction you've taken now we have a final three questions which we ask all of our guests and um these answers to these final three can be motorsport related or it could be something completely different you don't have to focus on motorsport at all the first one of the three what's got you excited at this very moment uh what's got me excited in motorsport really i think at the moment it's actually it's actually nascar and the and the sort of technology direction they're going in um delara chassis not many people know that it's an italian designed chassis in nascar the technology on the nascar is pretty high level the the ecus and the electronics and the systems they're going to be using in 25 are actually a year ahead of formula one yeah yeah not many people know that and then of course in 20 2026 that you know you get that leveler but nascar is really really exciting me at the moment yeah for sure from a from a you know will, will they enter netflix will they do a drive to survive we we believe they will um and, and that's going to cause some some interest and 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 seeing how that tackles the world of uh, diversity and inclusion in nascar that's also going to be an interesting time so that excites me nascar nascar very good what about outside of motorsport what's what's got you going just generally uh outside of motorsport very little actually i'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a classic car nut um 
And I always say to people, I've probably got the most sustainable vehicle in the world, which is a 65 Mustang. Uh, and of course, you know, that hasn't been replaced. So how can anyone say it's not sustainable, even though it does nine miles to the gallon? Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, classic, classic and sports cars, love car auctions, collecting cars, all those sorts of places. It's great. Uh, yeah. Love, love a bit of car auctions and, and sort of exposing my son to this. Very good. Very nice indeed. Now, what's one lesson your job's taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? Yeah, I think set yourself an intent. And this comes from this comes from Aldo and the team and Toto and all those uh, those people, uh, wonderful people at Mercedes, uh, was to set yourself an intent, you know, set yourself a little bit of a, a goal. What, what do you want to try and achieve, um, whether it be short term or long term? It's so important, mate. It's so important to set an intent. Um, and then also, you know, your objectives, set out your objectives, you know, just lay them out, you know, whether it's one, two, three or four, five. Um, and, and the other one for me is practice. The word practice, what does it mean? Try and understand what it, what it, what it actually means. But for me, it's just doing something over and over again, whether it be maths at school, whether it be science, technology, whether it be understanding business, just practice. Yeah. Final one for you. What are you scared of? Uh, apart from spiders, um, health really, I think the, the, just, just, just making sure that we, (laughs) we all stay healthy and, and how do we do that in this world at the moment? Um, yeah, health as you get to my age. Yeah. I'm scared of, I'm scared, scared of not, 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 not losing my health. That is probably the biggest one I'm scared of. Well, it's been fascinating talking to you, Richard. I really appreciate your time. I'm sure there's loads of of great stuff in there. It's really interesting to hear about your your career. It's a fascinating career. And um, I'm sure some of the the advice that you've given there is going to be valuable for for a lot of people that are listening out there that want to get into Formula One or or wider motorsport or engineering um, as as an industry in itself. Um, Any any parting words, any last words? Words of wisdom you want to give our uh, listeners? Look, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased that Formula One teams, and I say right earlier on in the beginning of the podcast, that, that have sort of opened up to, to graduates and apprentices. Um, yeah, just keep knocking on those doors, right? Because those doors will open eventually. You know, there's big industry out there and, and fantastic and welcoming people. And uh, it's a great place to be. So don't, don't give up. Richard, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too. So make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast. 